Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and what a week it's been. We've been treated to some glamour, some glitz and glamour from Shanghai, some early morning snooker, some lunchtime snooker, and some just some really good snooker, hasn't it? I think we've uh, all enjoyed this week from watching from afar in Shanghai. Um, it's been great, hasn't it? Really good, really. Glitz and glamour, two words not associated with this podcast very often, Phil, but <laughs> certainly has been, you know, for what we've seen in that tournament. It was just superb. I mean, I I, I don't think, I, I sort of know I'm speaking to pretty much every snooker fan because everyone's been saying on social media, you know, that's not, as we know, not always a positive place, but it kind of was about this because we were seeing great players, great drama, Great matches every day. And it was that different thing that we did tee up before in the morning, in the afternoon, gave it a different quality for us, I felt. And I thought it was, yeah, really smashing. And a winner, of course, who has been over the decades snooker's greatest ever winner, Ronnie O'Sullivan, four Shanghai titles in a row, Phil. I mean, to win a couple in a row, really, tournament is quite special. To win four is is quite sort of remarkable, really. And he beat Luca Purcell 11-9 in the final. We had a good final to, to cap a, a, a really top week, didn't we? And as for Ronnie, I mean, and there's a case for saying, isn't there? I've been a bit reticent about this because I didn't want to sort of think I was feeling a bit rude about Ronnie, whatever. But I think there's a strong, strong case now for saying that he doesn't always find those high-level motivation Levels, if if I was saying it like that, for some of the other events, maybe some of the one to eight events, the home nation, the evidence is there for all to see. You put him in these one table, or at least one table for a lot of it, big name, high stakes, big money events. You see the Ronnie that we know to be a top Ronnie. He performed all week. He was the part off the table, very much the part on it, and the champion again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he even said it himself, didn't he? I think it was after Higgins, the Higgins win when he was 5-2 down. And he said if this was a four-table event in the UK, 
I probably would have jacked it in, not those words exactly, but he meant that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's no question that um, he lacks the motivation um, sometimes on tour, but and can you even blame him? He's been doing this for so long. Um, he's hit as big a heights as anyone has ever hit in snooker. So he can't possibly be motivated all the time in every tournament. Um, and it, he only sort of gets accused of that because we see how brilliant he is when he's on. And he's he's never more on than the Shanghai Masters, really. You'd say he's even more focused here than even at the Crucible, maybe. Um, he's always on his best behaviour, um, not messing about in interviews, saying anything silly um, most of the time. <laughs> he's always trying so hard. I mean, there were times in this tournament where he actually wasn't at his very best. Um, and he looked like he was going to lose to Higgins. He should have lost to Higgins, really, quite comfortably. Um, but he battled on. And then he always, when he's, in, when he's trying hard, he seems to always just find the right things at the right time. And those last two frames against Higgins are exactly that. Looks in trouble against Selby. Um, that Brussel final was amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it's incredible that to know that when he's sort of properly dialed in trying, then he's almost guaranteed to win that tournament, which considering it's, you know, it's, it's as, I think that's what we were treated to this week. It reminded me of watching the Masters because they're the level of the field you've got there. Um, so imagine if someone in this day and age won the Masters four times in a row, it would be unbelievable stuff. Yeah, um, so, so, yeah, that's the level we're talking about. It's uh, it's amazing to see as we approach his 48th birthday in December. Incredible. Yeah, no, good way of summing it up. I, I had that feeling a couple of days ago. You know, I thought oh, we joke about it every game like a final and obviously we treat it in that sort of comedy way but it was very much that feeling about this and yeah I mean you you nailed it there you know saying he had to battle he really scrapped and I've, I've often said Ronnie's scrapping ability is an underrated ability of his game no question you know he and I thought it was reminiscent at times of his 2020 world title win there was that quality to it for me he looked never down and out but not that far from down and out against John Higgins and other times under real pressure. But he delivered backs to the wall, you know, even in those matches when he wasn't really his very best, he found a way to, to get to the finish line. And that's, as I say, such a quality of Ronnie that I think is often underestimated. Well, the final was superb, Phil. What entertainment. It was, uh, you know, I say 11-9. He was 6-4 up. After the first session, I might let you talk more about that. I think you may have seen more of that than I did, which wasn't much, frankly. But I know he crucially took the 10th one to take that lead. And it's narrow. 6-4, first to 11, not even first to 10 or 9, is not much. It's, it's you know, it's a little bit to take into to the evening. But we knew at that stage that we were kind of in for, for a thriller because they were both nip and tuck. I know Ronnie took an early lead. Purcell went bang, 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 won three quick frames. Then Ronnie went ahead again. It was good stuff. Yeah, it was great stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, running on the first. And then if there was, I mean, there will still be some doubters on Luca Russell because he hasn't done it on a long, consistent basis. But, um, you know, if, if there was any question whether he'd settle in a big final against Ronnie O'Sullivan sort of like that, he made a 1 3 4 in the second frame. Um, just ridiculously good. Yeah, he won three in a row up to, um, up to the seventh. And then, yeah, it did that. Yeah, he missed. What did he do? He went in off on the last yellow in the 10th when he should really have gone 5-5. Five, five. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, that could be a turning point. But having watched him at the World Championship, his, his ability just to sort of win two or three frames on the spin at any moment, however bad the situation is, um, 
then it didn't, it didn't really feel like it would be a turning point in other, against other people. Maybe it would have been, but um, yeah, at six four was no no panic, um, and he just kept going for everything. Like, there really is no relenting from Luke Russell. And I think that first session had um, Alan McManus and Fergal O'Brien on, and you know they're the opposite, <laughs> and you could tell at times they weren't criticizing him, and I think they even sort of. Um, addressed this at one point. Fogel said, I'm not ever having a go at him. I'm just jealous because they were sort of trying at times, they were really sort of struggling not to be like, you can't play that shot. Um, because you know, it's just anathema to those guys the way <laughs> Luca plays. But, um, but Fogel said, Yeah, as I said, he said he's just jealous, just jealous of the freedom and the t- and the aggression he can go and you know, not just play like that, like anyone can play like that, but play like that really well, nearly beat the greatest of all time. So yeah, buccaneering. It was amazing to watch. <laughs> it really was. I want to mention Fergal sometimes. I'll scribble that down. We'll say that. We'll say him. We're going to say how good he was, aren't we, later? But I don't want to kind of lose the thread of the final so much. But yeah, l- lovely to hear Fergal. It really was. And then, well, I, my, I was absolutely glued to that final session, as I think so many uh, snooker fans were. Bissell winning three of those first four frames to make it 7 7. We effectively had, had a best of seven then and looked really good at that stage. And I think you always had in the back of your mind, funny enough, I thought it was, a, it was the last live snooker in person. I saw that Purcell and O'Sullivan last session at the Crucible, which I still can't, even five months on, quite get my head around. Ronnie was so flat that afternoon, so unusual, really. And Purcell, you know, just reeled off seven in a row. And I kind of, even though Ronnie, I think, would be favourite for this final, I think you have to put their, you know, whole careers on the line a bit and say he would have had to be in favourite, of course, and favourite at 7-7, I would say. But maybe not by that much. And you had in the mind, Luca can go on those spells. But actually, of course, it was Ronnie that came out from the interval firing. And we know intervals change matches again. And it was a bit like that. Played three really good frames, didn't he? Won the, the next one. What would it have been? The 15th one handsomely. Then a one four three, the highest break of the tournament. And he, he took that off John Higgins, which I, I, I'm not always into high breaks. I, thought, I, I don't find them the biggest deal, but that was a bit of a sort of a, an extra blow uh, for his old friend and, and, and rival there, Phil. And then, and then a one twenty, So it was 10-7 then. And a bit, obviously, not a bit last chance saloon, total last chance saloon for Purcell. Then he won the next with the moment of, of the night for me, that double from Purcell <laughs> to, to win the frame and go 10-8. And one thing I'm determined to say, you know, we sell snooker and I think we enjoy selling it as a very cerebral and deep thinking and often slow, measured, very relaxing in many of our cases, certainly mine. I love I love its relaxing qualities, but that shouldn't preclude us from also thinking that we can sell those big high octane moments because I love that. And, you know, I just it strikes me it was a brilliant Sunday of sport across the board. My goodness, talk about square eyes. So much going on. And I, and I also like the quality of the Sunday afternoon thing with the snooker finishing. Reminded more mature listeners, I'm sure, there's ITV events from yesteryear. And it, listen, Sunday night's a great piece of real estate, to use that rather pretentious phrase. We don't want to give that up. But I did like the occasional difference of this so we could then get on with other sport on telly on Sunday night. And I watched a lot of NFL. And, and in that, they often have great moments, crescendo moments, but I thought, so do we. And that 
clip and I actually put it on my social media. And the noise and the roar and in kind of perfect timing as well, Dave Hendon with a wow, I love that. And I think Shabnam, our, our, our good friend from the BBC and the host of uh, the Very Good Frame podcast, made the point about the noises, even coming through television. Great roars, great din and gasps. And I loved that. There was a, something sort of, there's something sort of so exciting about the whole thing that made it 10 8 i love that moment then 10 9 and you think my goodness me and then of course lo and behold the last one totally out of character with the rest of the match and the tournament was a massive scrap wasn't it neither of them could get a handle on it the balls were going awkward all the time ronnie always had that kind of classic useful lead in a frame like that, a, a kind of 20, 25, 30 points, which is almost worth double that because the, the balls are so awkward. He got over the line. The, the last one was a hard to watch, but yeah, a word about that double, pure Luca, just smashed it in. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone was really expecting him to do it, but then you've got to expect the unexpected with him. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that is, that was so much like the devil may care sort of attitude because he didn't even play it that fast. So if he'd missed it, I'm sure it would have just like, it would definitely have been on uh, for Ronnie. So, you know, he plays his own style and he's so good. Um, you know, as, the, as long as he can keep this form going and keep playing like this, we don't want him to get old and grizzled and gnarled before his time. You know, keep it up because it is thrilling stuff. Um, and, yeah, I, I noticed a bit about that, especially in the final and the noise from the crowd because um, it, it really sort of got a bit shouty at, at sometimes, you know, a few come on, Ronnie's come on, Lucas, um, which you don't often get in, in China necessarily. Mm. It's not quite Ali Pali there, is it? Um, more reserved, but I, I enjoyed it. it. Showed how wrapped up in the in the game they were, uh, and enjoy and um, you know having a great time watching it, as anyone would be um, watching that. I thought it was a fantastic game. Um, I know quite a few people were disappointed that it was just on Discovery Plus and not on Eurosport in the second session. You know. I watch it all on Discovery Plus, so I think that's just the way forward for snooker fans, isn't it? Um, but yeah, if you were watching it, it was great stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, probably uh, that's a sort of better judges perhaps that know about you know the, the, the how they decide schedules. There are other, I said it was a brilliant Sunday sport, and Eurosport had plenty on offer. There was really, really big cycling. I know I. Um, was was sub editing on the on the Times Sports Desk last night, and David Walsh, one of our best journalists, wrote a, a really good, detailed, and you know, very colourful piece for the cycling. That was massive over the weekend in Spain. So that you know, there are other considerations, not just snooker. So that we've got to bear that in mind. But of course, yeah, uh, there are there are places to watch it, not always where we want to watch it. And I know we have to sometimes fork out a few shillings, but uh, I think the general message is we're, we're still generally quite lucky as snooker fans. But, yeah, you're right to register that disappointment. A lot of people did say it. They showed the first session, as I understand it, not the second, which actually is often the other way around, isn't it? They'll, they'll show the last one, not the, not the penultimate one type thing. But, anyway, maybe that's because this, this ended on a Sunday afternoon. But, um, yeah, it was it was just really good, you know, entertainment. And I, I don't want to be... You know, flippant or 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 casual in my in in analysis here, but uh, can we almost already dismiss the idea that Luca's going to be a, you know a struggling world champion? I, I don't want to be sort of um, presumptuous, but I almost think you can with, with the way he's looked looked there and his demeanour. That's not a man that's got the burden of being world champion. That's a man that's bloody reveling in it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the way he plays. He's not going to be 
I don't well I don't think I don't think he can keep that up and win sort of like multiple multiple tournaments every a year because it's just it's all it's too reckless and he's good enough to do it but um yeah I don't I don't think he's going to be one of these people that are breaking records a number of tournaments in a season you know I wouldn't put it past him he's amazing but I think it's just too wild a style for that but he only needs to be sort of uh near his best game to be near enough anyone playing like that um so yeah I think he's going to have a good season it's already been a good season I thought he did really well to get to where was it the last 16 yeah. in Nuremberg yeah. I think he hadn't picked yeah. up his queue and then he yeah. went up there with a different queue anyway so yeah. <laughs> like, yeah push Hawkins to a deciding frame was a pretty good effort and to go all the way to the final you know he's, he's, a, he's a different proposition now you know I think in that semi-final first to 10 against Neil Robertson it's not very long ago you wouldn't give Brazil much of a chance of that really he would struggle to find someone to back him to beat Neil in a first 10 only a few months ago yeah. and uh, he handled that task pretty comfortably really yeah I totally agree with all that I, I heard a couple of the commentators say and I was just saying yeah oh man it, it, he seems different we treat him differently his opponents must treat him differently I, I think they may not say it um, I think we pressed Barry a bit on that on here and he's I mean yeah I think he said it is a, it is probably different now. Yeah, I mean he didn't go too far, but I think I think they're gonna have to think that really. You know, he's world champion, it's an enormous status in this sport. Uh, and it gives him all the confidence in the world. Having said that, of course, <laughs> I introduced this little segment by saying that many players have struggled with that, you know, with that uh status, I guess, and they've almost visibly shrunk the season after because they're such I don't know, in demand, the pressure cookers there, nearly all their matches are on television. We've seen it over the decades. But I just wonder, Phil, I can I can already hear you saying, Phil, that whatever happens, we'll then put the narrative on that, um, which is sort of true. But I wonder if that... I did sort of suggest that... I know we had a good laugh about his party, but I wonder whether him getting away from it and getting away from all us lot, frankly, the starters, and getting away from all the... The sort of you know the snooker world really, and just having that almighty great time might have been the right thing. I'll, I'll say you know it's not even a secret. Stuart Bingham's one. There'll be others that come to my mind that have said to me they didn't feel they quite got the time right after they won the title. They feel they should have had a bit more time off. A bit. More. I think it, I think uh, Stuart told me that John pa- he was ch- chatting with John Parrott who was saying get up, go away. And maybe Stuart, this is one when, when I did one of my big interviews for the World Championship programme, the year after he won it, actually. Stuart sort of saying he never got away from it enough and he wished he had. Listen, you know, it's hard. First time crucible champion, who you know, who who are we to say what what the best approach is? But listen, Luca's got away, completely got away from Snooker, come back. He looks like he hasn't got a bloody care in the world. And that's part of his way anyway. But he looks like, yeah, I just almost devil may care. And it, it's got to serve him well, hasn't it? think so yeah and he he doesn't get down from defeats really he's, he's he wants to win of course he does he's you don't get to this level of sport without being a, a driven winner um but his instagram post afterwards was sort of oh what an amazing week so grateful to be living this life uh got a busy few months ahead looking forward to it um you know, he still has this like amazing relationship um, with his girlfriend, where they're just sort of so compl- just so complimentary about each other all the time. We're talking about each other and how uh, how much it sort of brings to each other's lives. So uh, great, yeah. As long as it uh, make the most of it 
while it lasts. I know it's too old and cynical, but it probably won't be forever. Um, mm. But yeah, um, you know, he's he's still riding the crest of the wave, isn't he? Um, I think the things he's got to do, he'll have to deal with, as he said, he's super busy now until Christmas. It's just back to back to back to back tournaments. Um, you can't win them all. Um, I don't think he's he's that will be that fussed by it, but everyone else will be more fussed by it. You know, when Luca Brassell lost in the last 16 last year, no one really raised an eyebrow. But if he does it, whenever he does it this year, which will happen, you know, that will be news stories. And, you know, he'll have that to deal with. And also this amazing form, which he's carried on for the World Championship, will ebb away a little bit or a lot at some point. And it's how he deals with that, you know. Will he keep going all out attack? Probably. But he's got to sort of, when you're not firing and you're playing that side of game, then you can look a bit silly, I suppose. So will he power on doing that? Will he, you know, change his game a little bit? These are things that he's going to have to deal with as and when they come. But um, for his sake, not for everyone else's sake on the tour, but I hope he doesn't have to deal with them for a while because watching him in full flight is uh, incredible stuff. Yeah, definitely. You know what comes to my mind, a bit of a tangent, um, the Tottenham Hotspur manager, Ange Postacoglu, in recent days, talking about his player, Carlison, who's talking about needing psychological help, some of the issues he's he's having. And, you know, I thought the, the, the Spurs manager spoke with a great uh, humanity, actually, and said, actually, people expect these guys are earning fortunes and, you know, adored by millions and playing sport at the highest level are having the perfect life. And more on top of that, often that's what they think. That's what the players think. That's not always the case. You know, and he was saying, you know, you, you can struggle in any walk of life. And listen, the reason I'm saying that is that, you know, you're absolutely right. Luca will have, have harder times when his game will go. He'll have bad form. He'll have other things. But you're right. When you're riding that crest of a wave, and you've got the feeling that with his character in life, he'll ride the crest of the wave more than most of us might because he's that he's that way. But listen, when you when you when you're riding it, carry on because he's he, you know he's a he's great to watch as you're right and and you're right. You know that so, <laughs> some of the commentators more that more veered towards yesteryear might find his shot choices funny on, on occasion. But listen, it, it's um it's taking him to the top of the game. He's the world champion and very nearly the world number one. Phil, so there's no reason why he shouldn't carry on doing it. But everyone got deep, didn't they, Phil? Because you know, Luca was talking about, you know, being grateful for this life. And of course, Ronnie, uh, who, who can always rely on for, for, for you know, a decent quote or two, really excelled himself by saying that he was preparing for death. He is uh, giving his trophy away to a friend of his in China and says he wants to get rid of all of them in time. He says he's, he's thinking about his own mortality and he doesn't want to be laden down with all these trophies when he's 70 or 80. I'm thinking about, I don't have that problem, Phil. In fact, the only trophy, as you know, on my show, is a Tony Mio trophy. And even though I was joking about selling that, I wouldn't sell that for all the tea in China, Phil Haig. But on a serious note, Ronnie is um is he just good for a quote, isn't he? I mean, you can't read too much into this. You know, he probably won't sell them all. He's probably having a laugh. He's just giving this one away. And and uh, But you never know. I mean, oh, I will say one thing. He may say that. And it may come to fruition. But I remember that Eurosport documentary with Alan McManus. And what was really telling about it was how much stuff he had, you know, from going back in the day, you know, and, you know, stuff in his life. So, you know, it may have been, you know, members of his family's houses or whatever, but there's a lot of Ronnie stuff still floating around. So if he's going to get rid of it, it's a lot to get rid of. 
<laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I didn't know if uh, that was just sort of alignment. As I say, he's on best behavior at the Shanghai Masters, um, and that's including most of interviews. I didn't know if he'd finally got to the end of the final and just had to say something a bit daft. You know, he'd been yeah. building up in him for a week. He had to let something out there. Um, I don't know. You never know with Ronnie. Usually, there's some truth to what he says. Um, and yeah, he probably is happy to just to give that trophy to his friend who, who you know, will benefit from having a lovely centerpiece behind the bar at the snooker club. Uh, you know, that's great. So yeah, I, w- I wouldn't like to predict how accurate what he says is, but it was an eye-catching line, wasn't it? Preparing for death. Um, sort of morbid. Um, yeah, as you say, Luke was talking about being grateful for his life. So yeah, it was interesting stuff from both of them, from two very interesting characters, to be fair. They're two, they're two sort of far apart in age. There's nearly 20 years between them to sort of have a, too much of a rivalry, I guess. I mean, they could for the next two or three years. Um, and I hope they do, because uh, I could watch that game over and over and over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Snooker's back on ITV next week, Phil, for those of us here in the UK. And every advert break prepares us for death, doesn't it? Because they, they're nearly all, um, t- you know, reminding us of our own mortality. So um, that's OK. We're prepared for it at least now. We know what's coming. Phil, shall we look back at some of the results during during the tournament then? And we kicked off last Monday, round one, and uh, no problem for John Higgins, beat Deng Hao-Hu 6-0. Uh, good win for Fang Zhengzhi, beating Gary Wilson 6-2. Bit of a slow start to the season for Gary, actually. Uh, Hossein Vafai beating Gong Chengzi 6-1. And Ali Carter seeing off Dong Jihao 6-2. Well, a match I saw some of was Ding Junhui 6, Si Jui He 2. That was the one I think... I was looking forward to the, the most in that first uh, day. And, uh, well, the aforementioned Alan McManus and Fergal O'Brien were really interesting during that, pointing out that Ding, even though he was the dominant force in the match, didn't always have the best body language. And actually, they were saying he gives away a lot more than he used to in his pomp. You know, he he, he doesn't always seem like he's really getting a great amount of enjoyment out of the game, frankly, but he did he did get a win, as did Jack Lazowski beating Xiao Yulong 6-5. But yeah, that I can see you nodding there. Ding's body language what didn't always c- correlate with the scoreline. Yeah, I'm sure it was something like 4-1, maybe even 5-1. No, I think I'm pretty sure I remember it being 4-1 where it was properly slumped in his chair or with his head in his hands. Just, you know, yeah, he was, he was missing a few, but, you know, he's experienced enough, you would think, to not let that get him down too much. And of course, he got over line 6-2, good win against a very good player. So, um, I guess it doesn't matter, but yeah, like you say, it's no, it's no sort of poker face, is it? If, if anyone looked over to their opponent, and you would know very well that he's not having a nice time. Um, and yeah, I don't think we remember that, that of Ding back in the day when he was winning a lot more tournaments. Um, so yeah, he's, he's an interesting character, isn't he? On the tour, you just never really know to, what to expect from him. Um, but he looked good. He looked good this week. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah. That, I, I didn't notice the same how odd he was. There. <laughs> um, and yeah, also Gary Wilson. I was going to mention that it's a, a shocker start to the season. Really, he's only won one game, mm-hmm. and that was in a decider in the English Open qualifiers. Um, so it was very nearly no games. Um, so he really needs to turn it round pretty quick. Um, he snuck into the sixteen, didn't he, for the World Championships, and he's already out of that. Um, so yeah, if he wants to get back in there for the next year then uh, he needs to start winning some games. Um, Jack Lazowski did well against Joe Long. Yeah, I watched some of that game. Battled hard. He was a fair bit behind in that. Um, and I mentioned for Bayou Lou, the 
female player was involved who um, she only won one frame against Rob Milkins, but it was a nice 75 to win that. Uh, you know, Milkins is a uh, talk about new players. I was saying Luca Brussels is a different prospect now. Um, Milkins compared to two years ago, you know, he's just sort of a mainstay in these big events, winning matches. You wouldn't have thought that not very long ago, would you? No, you wouldn't. Absolutely. You know, I split it up into days where you actually did it better there. I should, I should have split it up into rounds. You're right. Robert Milkins to complete the first round did beat Bayou Lu 6-1. And then Mark Williams beat uh, Pan Jung Su 6-1. Um, moving on to the round two then, which was last Tuesday and last Wednesday. John Higgins beat Kyron Wilson 6-3. It was Judd Trump 6, Jack Lazowski 5. And that's proper. He's beginning to annoy me stuff there, but isn't it? Lazowski came back uh, very well to draw level, actually, and force a decider, but Trump won it. I watched quite a bit of Ronnie O'Sullivan 6, Ali Carter 3. Actually, Carter got from 3-1 to 3-3 and almost sort of half fancied him at that stage. Ronnie was a bit, a bit out of sorts and Ali was playing well, but actually, as it happened, Ronnie then sort of stepped it up and, and won the match. Mark Selby 6, Hossein for 5-5, the five, five, really, really exciting one again there. And a top win for Fan Zengji, beating Mark Allen 6-3. Mark's had a couple of funny results, actually, so far this season. Uh, Luca Bussell 6, Mark Williams 4. We said all there is to say about Luca now. He has a, 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 a new stature about him, I think it's fair to say. Really good finish from Neil Robertson against Ding Jun Wee, actually. Robertson 5-3 down, down, breaks of 72, 71 and 65 in the last three frames. Saw him come back to win. And then Robert Milkins, who continues to, you know, talk about players that look different. He continues to cut a very different figure to me in the last year or two. He beat Sean Murphy 6-5, 64 in the decider to win it. So plenty of highlights there from round two, uh, Phil. Lots of big names and... Uh, yeah, I found the Ronnie and Ali one that I watched the most kind of interesting because at one stage I thought it might go the other way. Yeah, I remember that going to 3-3 and Ronnie looked, yeah, not great and Ali looked really good and then it just completely turned around, as you said. Um, yeah, that, but that that second round where it's the 16, that's when it really felt like a Masters event, just all heavyweight matches. Um, fan, yeah, arguably the performance of the round there because uh, I don't think Alan did a fat lot wrong, really. Um, he opened up with a one three five, um, and then Fan. He's so hard to predict, isn't he? Because he mm. won the European Masters, um, and then doesn't do a lot else. But when he gets these, cha- he had that good run in the Champion of Champions. It seems to be when he gets on the big stage, he's a bit more like it. And of course, this is exactly the example of that. Um, you know, the last four frames of that match, Alan scored nine points in <laughs> in one of them. So <laughs> he was really shut out by the younger man. Um, and yeah, Alan was tweeting about it afterwards saying. Didn't feel too disappointed. Didn't do anything wrong. So fair play to fan there. Um, and yeah, there were some really good matches, really close matches. Um, that Selby for five one was a long old slog. Um, I mean, it was a good game, you know. Obviously, great players, but it, it went it went late. Um, and yeah, then we were left with a, a very very good quarter final lineup, weren't we? <laughs> we were on Thursday. It was cracking. Yeah. Uh, well, you talk about results that people may not have seen coming. I think Mark Selby six, Judd Trump one, will be one of those. I think you know. Saw a bit of an interview afterwards with Mark saying that you know, Judd really out of sorts, but you've got to take advantage in those situations. And he, and he really did that. We mentioned it earlier, Ronnie O'Sullivan 6, John Higgins 5. I mean, it's uh, it's the same hymn sheet, I'm afraid, here, which is Higgins looking like he's in control of a match, looking like he's about to win it, just can't go that extra step. He was 5-2 up, looking really strong. Having said that, 
you know, there's two sides to every story. And Ronnie actually played really well. I mean, breaks of 100 and, and 130 in the last two frames to win it. But another really painful one for Higgins. Uh, Neil Robertson uh, comfortably beat Van Shengzi 6-1. And it was Luca Purcell 6, Robert Milkins 3. Yeah, it does feel a, a shame about John Higgins. It, it's got it's got to be on his mind now, no question, when he gets, certainly when he gets one away from victory. He's had a lot of these, I mean, two, he had at least two followers up, I think, or maybe even a third where he was two up with three to play and didn't win. Now he's three up with four to play and uh, still couldn't get it done. So it's, it's painful stuff for him, it has to be said. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real issue. There's, there's no sort of denying it's happened too many times for it to be sort of, circumstance in certain games um and he can definitely get over it this isn't him finished in sort of winning big matches but he needs to do one um you know maybe needs his opponent to just not be able to play great at the end to get and then he can get over and and you know it'll click back in but he should have won that 6-2 definitely and that would have been a real statement win ending O'Sullivan's run in Shanghai with a really comfortable win you know he was in in that eighth frame he made 50 odd um and it looked like that was all over, um, really. I think people would have been writing um, the match report saying Higgins would win. And I, I know I know why I said that, because I was doing that. <laughs> and I had to delete it all. <laughs> um, and yeah, the second, the next frame, the ninth frame, he had he had chances there as well. And it was starting to get feel pretty sticky for him. He was still 5-4 ahead, but he didn't feel great for him. And then Ronnie just took it out of his hands. Um, he, he couldn't do anything else two centuries at 130 to win it was brilliant. Um so yeah, uh sort of hard to watch if you're a John Higgins fan. Um yeah, I don't know how some of those he says you know, some of those defeats he's spoken about those finals against uh Allen and that big one he lost against Neil and uh, Masters against Jan, you know, some of them he said have hurt more than others. Not sure where he'd place this. Obviously it's not a final. Um but he's he is playing really well. Um, he played really well in uh, Nuremberg. He was looking really really good here. So I, I hope it doesn't derail that sort of early season form because uh, it's great to have him in the mix for titles, <laughs> even if he doesn't win it. Um, it's good to have him fight, um, playing well and fighting with the best because you know he's one of the best. Um, but that is the kind of defeat that could could set him back a bit, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with with that, really. I've forgotten that Masters one in COVID. Now you say it, I remember it all very, very clearly, but yeah, he should have won that, really. I remember saying at the time on here, you know, John Higgins of, well, maybe not five years ago, ten years ago, would never have lost that final. I mean, Yan Bingtao played well, but but yeah, that was, that was in John hand, John's hands, really. So it happens. Listen, um, but I have to say, just... To clarify again, something I mentioned on, on Twitter, we, we we've been saying this for a while now about the class of '92. We've had a couple of correspondents asking about it. Well, it's not the case in Ronnie's uh, case about top level nerve, is it? It's quite the opposite, actually. In Ronnie's case, he's winning matches from behind. He's scrapping. So, listen, I'm doing what I criticise others for doing here trying to put the class of 92 together. They're all completely separate people um, with, with separate careers and separate characters and what have you. But if we're worried about John Higgins doing it and thinking, oh, is this an age thing or a stage of his career? Well, it might not be that because we're not seeing it from Ronnie. Do you, do, you get, do, you get on, do you get what I mean there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's playing well enough. You know, there's no question that he's 
you know fallen away in quality it's uh it's a psychological thing it seems um or maybe it's a concentration thing as he gets older maybe um but it seems more um yeah a mental block when he's coming towards the winning line uh but yeah i don't i don't think that just means that's it for the rest of his career um because yeah no he said on here didn't he that you know he's, he might not have a long left couple of years maybe um, but he's playing more than well enough to not drop out of the top 16 like he was worried about uh even if he isn't getting over the line at the, those huge matches he's still playing uh easily the standard of a top 16 player so um yeah i think he'll just need one to go his way uh, I'm sure they will eventually, you know, over his career, more have gone his way that haven't. It's just all the ones that haven't have been very recently, I suppose. Um, you know, I haven't looked at the stats on that, but that's the kind of, you know, get the point I'm making. Um, he's very much capable of doing it. He's just having a bad time doing it at the minute. Um, so, yeah, he's just got to keep plugging away, isn't he? Very much so, and I'm sure he will do, do just that. And, well, we were left with two cracking semi-finals. They're, they're always going to be in this tournament. They really were belters. And they both ended up 10-7, actually. Ronnie O'Sullivan beat Mark Selby 10-7 in the first semi on Friday. I said beforehand, actually, do we think this is the best matchup in snooker in today's game? I think, it for me, it probably is. I remember being involved in a conversation with a couple of people in the press room uh, during the Crucible just gone. And it must have been when he was still in it, in it, actually, so maybe around the quarterfinal stage or just before saying what uh, you know I, I was certainly saying that I think that the O'Sullivan Selby would be the final that delivers the biggest ratings for the BBC even more than O'Sullivan Trump actually because there's 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 so much in it so much history their contrasting styles their characters and sometimes a bit in needle and I put sometimes needle in brackets on Twitter and a few people said oh you're you know don't overplay it and I no I don't think it should be overplayed but I also don't think it should be dismissed. And there is something there. Certainly since their 2020 semi, there's definitely been, you know, there's, there's evidence that, 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 that they, you know, have little jibes at each other from time to time. And that's what sport's all about. So I think it's the best matchup. And this delivered. It really did. And it looked like Mark was kind of uh, gaining the initiative. I couldn't believe the pink he missed in, in what, the 14th frame. I mean, it was a, a dolly pink, really. It was frame ball. Ronnie cleared with a, a, a terrific 66. I mean, the table was by no means in his favour. He, I think it might have been one of the, the last black to red, was it? And then getting back for the last black to yellow. Everything about it was excellent from Ronnie. Pinpoint accuracy, classic O'Sullivan. He won that frame 66-65. It was almost an ultimate snooker frame, actually. Selby made 65, needed one more ball to get over the line, missed it. Ronnie won 66-65. And from then, Ronnie just obviously got a surge of confidence, breaks of 69, 109 and 118, and he won the match, 10-7, to get himself into yet another Shanghai final. And the second semi-final on Saturday, also 10-7, Luca Purcell beating Neil Robertson uh, by that scoreline. As you rightly said, there was a time not so long ago when you'd have fancied and maybe strongly fancied Neil to win it. That's not the case right now. Not just because Luca's got a new status, but I think Neil has slightly dropped off that high pedestal, I would say, uh, for for very, very obvious reasons. He's not quite putting enough wins on the board in, in recent times. Uh, Bussell was always in front in that match. In fact, he was 6-2 in front at one stage. Robertson did well to kind of stay in touch. It was only 8-7, uh, 
uh, getting towards the end, but Purcell then won uh, the next two to claim victory. And we were set up with a brilliant final. But yeah, two really good semis there, Phil. And that was a sort of um, the narrative of the tournament, wasn't it? Wasn't it? We we weren't left with any, even in the best tournaments, even the World Championship, you get some days where you think, mm, that was a bit of a flat day, actually. We weren't getting flat days in this, were we? Every day was delivering good matches, good drama, and we were we were fully satisfied as snooker people. Yeah, absolutely. There were enough sort of dominant performance, close matches. Um, two semis were, um, well, not you know, not decided even 10-8s, but close enough. There were contests for sure. Certainly, uh, Sullivan Selby looked like it was going all the way um, until Ronnie powered for the, the end. And Brissell, I thought, um, was so impressive in that. He just held it, held Robertson at arm's length for most of it. I think Neil... Got back within one. That was so. I mean, that he's close, obviously. But Purcell mm. was just in charge. Um, very impressive. Um, yeah, Neil's not on top form, um, but he's still good enough to get to the semi-final of this tournament. But he's running out of time. He needs to keep his track record up of years where he's won a mm. tournament. Not won one in twenty twenty three, and there is a few tournaments to mm. to mm. come. But that record all the way back to two thousand six. So he, he doesn't want to lose that. He's a man of history of the law of the game, isn't it? He would be very disappointed to lose that. And I think I'll be a bit disappointed not to hear his speech after doing it, because he, he, <laughs> he, he'll he definitely be selling it, won't he? As he should, as he should. Um, listen, yes, there's there's not that much time left in the year time-wise, but in snooker terms, there are a lot of tournaments actually built. So he's got he has got a lot of chances still. But as you say, yeah, not done it yet. So we were left with that... Um, very good final, which we discussed right at the top. Ronnie O'Sullivan against Luca Purcell. Ronnie winning it 11-9. He's the champion again. It's still Michael Holt, isn't it? More, more of Michael later. I think it's still Michael Holt, the last man to beat him there. Obviously a big break for pandemic reasons, but he just likes it there, doesn't he? I mean, he, he's a hard man to stop. You know, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? We've seen it over the years. Henry won the number of world championships going back in the, in the 90s, of course. Uh, you know, it happens. You know, I think it was five, wasn't it? So it, it happens, you know, when, when when the greats, you know, are at their very best. But especially this day, you know, there's so much competition. We're not in an age necessarily when one player is completely dominant, certainly in a season-to-season sense. So it really is a record to note. Oh, yeah, stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no, there's just one of those where there's no easy games. Um, you're playing a, a top player in every single match. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, it's incredible stuff. And I think what the funny thing is really that, you know, and it's true when we say it and we, we're not wrong that it's like, oh, these big one-table setups, everyone's well looked after. It's exactly right for Ronnie O'Sullivan. You know, like that's also right for other players. You know, other players like nice one-table setups where they're well looked after and the hotels are good and there's a nice crowd and stuff. It's not like all the other players want to be in a cubicle at Ponsford and Sheffield. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not uniquely good for O'Sullivan. I think it's the it's the conditions that everyone would choose. But I think I think the point still is, even at his age, that um everything being equal, he wins. Um and oh. it's this tournament that sort of shows that, which uh it's fantastic. Um, fantastic for him and all his fans. Um, and yeah, I think there was a lot of compliments from the players for the setup there. I've never been, obviously, um, but apparently it's a bit different from how it used to be. Um, full of compliments. I did think it's a bit weird the way it's set up on the TV. So there's the seats behind it that you can see on the screen, which are uh, either like dignitaries or maybe even mm. when pressing, but they're often quite empty. 
Um, and the crowds are actually really good because when they show the crowds down the sides of the tables, it was packed pretty much the whole time. Um, so it just looks a bit funny on TV. I don't know if you noticed that way. It looks kind of empty, but it's not. I did. I did notice that. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it perhaps could have been designed to to show quite how big the crowd was more. And it was, there were really big crowds, actually, and it really came over. And and that noise that we mentioned in the final and, and earlier matches, too, which I really loved. And I love this. I love those ceremonies, Phil. I mean, I've seen the Olympic Games get the ceremonies go on, you know, not as long as that. And I, the music, proper stirring music. It's like a sort of you know, the next Star Wars. It's uh, it's great stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, they, they they love their big ceremonies at the end. But uh, but it's it's all part of it. And I just love the I love the time. I know I've gone about it, but I just love the fact that it was there was a bit of I'm going to say I'm going to say gravitas. You know, not a word I like to use too often. I thought there was a little gravitas about that being on a Sunday afternoon. There was loads of Premier League football on other big sport, Rugby World Cup, of course, in full swing now. I say not not loads. There were two games in the Premier League, but the, but they were on that afternoon. Um, there were other sports, big cycling, as I say, big golf at Wentworth, loads of stuff. But snooker took its place in that, and I like that. You, you, you know, that was being talked about as well. And I don't know, there was something about it being something we haven't seen for a while. We'll, we'll get used to Sunday afternoon again, and it won't feel so sort of different or special, I'm sure, as we get back to China, you know, more regularly. But I just really liked the feel on Sunday that it was it was really part of a great day of sport, I felt. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm a big fan of those um, seven o'clock matches that we were having. I have to start work at seven, so I'm always up. Um, and what a perfect way to start the day, have that on. I, don't, I never managed any of those half two starts. Um, but yeah, seven o'clock and then midday, all the way through the afternoon, finishing about four. Oh, it's great stuff. Yeah. I and mean, that's obviously won't suit everyone. People have real jobs other than mine where I sit around watching Um, but yeah, I, I had no complaints. Um, so yeah, no, it's great tournament all in all. Um, everything about it and. You know, they're, they're, we could, I don't think this season, I think players under the tour are generally a lot more happy than they were last season. But there were all those murmurings last season when sort of invitation events came on, when there weren't many other t- full one to eight tournaments. And, you know, this is an invitation event, obviously. Um, but it's one that they all should aspire to. I guess that like every player on tour should have aspirations of getting in the 16. And if they watched any of that, it only should only make them want to try harder to get there because it's one not to miss. So, uh, yeah, no real complaints at all from my end. I thought it was fantastic and huge money, 210 grand a winner. And that extra 10 grand for that break at the end. So, nice little trip for the rocket. He didn't need that extra 10 grand, did he? That was was a bit greedy. Um, (laughs) He's he's good at snooker, let's be clear. Um, (laughs) We have to say, Fergal, I've got it written down there. Let's, Let's say it now. I mean, you've got... If you don't like Fergal O'Brien whispering sweet snooker nothings to you through the screen, then, you know, I can't help you. It, it, lovely company. I think like all the good snooker voices, not only are they interesting and, you know, their views on the game uh, are so appreciated because they've been there and done it and know the game inside out, but it's just one of those, they're just good company. And if I think of all the really, really, I think the very, very top level ones, which I'd say Alan McManus, Neil Folds, uh, on the commentary side, I, I mean, strictly more commentating, I'd say Dave Hendon. They're all very good company, actually. Fergal fits into that that category. Uh, I thought he was smashing. Good value. And um, let's hope we hear more, more of him this season. Yeah, yeah, completely agree with all of that. And I'm sure we will. Um, 
That was a passes. He has to, I've heard him do bits before, but I don't know if they were just on the Championship League or places like that. Um, but if that was his Eurosport audition, then he, I'm sure he passed it with flying colours. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had Furgon here, obviously, and I've spoken to him a couple of times elsewhere. Um, and maybe if you'd only ever seen him play, and he plays quite a grueling style, and he pulls those quite um, terrifying faces when he's down on shots sometimes, you wouldn't necessarily know he's such a such a funny, friendly, engaging bloke. But, um, yeah, I could listen to him all day, really. So, And I got to at the Shanghai Masters, so that was great. Yeah, him and, him and Alan McManus uh, quickly forged a very enjoyable team to listen to. So, yeah, um, full of praise for him, obviously. Definitely. And our friend Joe Gibney was one that, that praised him and said, you know, really good addition to uh, the snooker commentary team for this tournament. Pointed out that, uh, you know, I think we kind of alluded to earlier that sometimes he he, he would maybe veer towards predicting a more negative shot than some of these guys would play now. But then he'd just say, oh, you know, well, us mere mortals can't play a shot like that. You know, if Rodney would pull something special out. So it was it, it was lovely. He was such a good, you know, snooker character. I think everyone likes a bit Fergal, don't they, really? And he, 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 yeah, he, he, was, he was smashing during the week. A couple more bits to point out. Um, I'm told by a couple of people, I saw Snooker Loopy make this point, our friend on Twitter, there was really good promotion of this tournament and and it and the coverage of it uh, during the Wolves v Liverpool game, which was a Saturday lunchtime game here in the UK on TNT Sports, and the, we were hoping, weren't we, that that might be one of the benefits of the the merger, you know, TNT Eurosport and Discovery coming together. And in fact, the promotion, one of the bits of promotion, came right in the moments before kickoff. So I thought that's really good good sign there, and. Something else uh, that I want to say as well, a former colleague of mine and a top, top journalist, Aidan Radnidge, has been in Bulgaria in recent days. And he tells me that uh, in the hotel room, he noticed there was a channel uh, every day showing the Shanghai Masters with Bulgarian commentary. And I thought, "Mm, it wasn't Eurosport, and I like to hear that. So it made me think, if you'd like to let us know about, you know, broadcasting arrangements, showing the game in different parts of the world, uh, please do. And one more thing for now, I put a clip up, Phil, of the pink that Ronnie missed in the 2014 World Final in the build-up to the O'Sullivan v Selby uh, match. That amazing incident, really, where he smashed the pink really hard. And uh, our friend Lula from Snooker Pro said she'd see the shot on her deathbed, which I thought was quite quite a morbid way of saying it. So maybe we'll do a topic, not deathbed, that's a bit much, but we'll say... Shots you can't get out of your mind. And there are so many, I think. One that has become a, a, a shot that's almost ubiquitously known, if I can put it like that, but I remember very clearly from my childhood, and I maintain was live on BBC One in one of their Sunday night slots, was the Willie Thorne Miss Blue at the UK, which completely changed that final. Would have been the biggest win of Willie's career. It was an absolute dolly blue. Extraordinary even now that he missed it. That's one that comes to mind. But there's so, so many through the history of the game. So let us know if you uh, happen to see good promotion of snooker in places that we might not know about. If you see snooker popping up in interesting places, and actually, let me widen that a bit. I was in Valletta in Malta earlier this year in a really busy market square place. And I looked on the big screen and it was showing David Grace playing. I like that. A busy lunchtime, Phil. And there was snooker. So if you, if you see it, unusually popping up at a screen, you know, and it looks perhaps a bit unusual. You're not, you're not expecting it. That's good as well. And also shots you'll never get out of your head. 
I'm not trying to say that we're a bit light on correspondence, Phil, but that, you know, I'm doing my best to drum it up here, but uh, they're all nice topics there, maybe for you, for you to get into. But um, yeah, it's um, it's good promotion, that, isn't it? Because Premier League football, obviously, as we know, you know, the league that um, shows those signs of slowing down and, and if we can, you know, get a bit more snooker eyeballs during coverage of the Premier League, all the better. Yeah, I've not seen any anything on uh, viewing figures or anything. Uh, I know the European Masters viewing figures are very encouraging. I read that. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully that those semi-finals and that final, yeah, they should be doing well. So hopefully all that encouragement from the uh, broadcaster as well should help. And yeah, I guess that that if if anyone's sending when you think of just a memorable shot, what's the first thing that pops into your head? I suppose maybe that's what we're asking. Um, because like you say, there's some obvious ones. I guess that Willie Thorne one, Jimmy missing that the mm. black in that desire against Hendry, Hendry against Williams in the Masters. Mm. Um things like that. But it'd be nice to hear some uh any other ones that, you know, what's something that springs to mind that you know, maybe we haven't seen. Um just something that Maybe you were watching mm. on a on a late like Tuesday that. night and you should have gone to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's half past midnight. It's on a stream without commentary. Yeah, we all find ourselves in those situations. Um so yeah, let us know. I love it. That, that, that you that's that's right. You've you, that's 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 good as well. Yeah, I'll never go over that Gary Wil- Gary Wilkinson Brownie missed on that on that rainy Wednesday afternoon when I was yeah, I like that. Yeah. Those as well. They don't have to be big ones. The shots you can't get out of your head and the more obscure ones, the better. So, listen, let's just put the Shanghai uh, tournament to bed for now and say how much we thoroughly enjoyed it. The Shanghai Masters was a real success story. And, you know, pretty much everyone, even some of the biggest, biggest lovers of the game are saying, you know, they're they're always getting to the season, but this is the one that's done it. They're now fully can't wait for the tournaments to come. And it was just a a thoroughly good week for the sport. And we should say, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Phil, qualifying is back in our lives again. We should say first that before we went off air, Last time we talked to mostly through the English Open, there were just a few more results after that. 
And we should say Jensen Kendrick had a really good win, beating Stuart Bingham 4-1. Terrific win for him. And also mention of James Cahill, who made his highest break in professional snooker, a break of 140 in his 4-2 win over Manasin Fetmalaikul. And then the qualifying moves on again. Now it's the international championship qualifying, which starts today, Monday, here in the UK. And the, the headline story by a long way is we have seen a 147 fill from Ryan Day in his 6-1 win over Mink Nutrap, the fourth of his career, his second of this year. And lovely. I love the understated thumbs up from Ryan. If I could have predicted the thumbs up I'd see from Ryan, it would be that one. Really lovely. Just like a nice little, there we are. I'm doing it now. It doesn't really work on an audio service, Phil. <laughs> All you have to do is look up on, on the various uh, streaming platforms. I'll put a clip up of it on my Twitter. But yeah, 147s are always special. I think we're into the 190s now. So ticking towards the 200 in professional play. But um, yeah, and also should say, we often do hear that players that make 147s lose matches. Well, he didn't. He had a, he had a, a good win and crowned by that maximum. Yeah, superb stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that when he did it at the Tour Championship. It wasn't even long ago, but um, second in a year. Superb stuff. From a man at the World Championship qualifying, he was talking like he might jack the game in. Um, no one believed him. <laughs> and he's playing really well. Um, he's still in the top 16, as far as uh, if my memory serves me. So, yeah, uh, don't retire yet, Ryan, because you're very, very good. Um, and that was a yeah, great win. Um, I watched a bit this morning because it was half nine starts. Very early. Um, uh, for yeah, it's just very early, isn't it? Uh, Stephen Maguire looked very good. He still hasn't lost a game this season. Um, we've spoken about that before. I think he's played for one all his qualifiers again in really games. He, he should win. Um, there was that close one with Dan Wells, that was a good game. Um, but yeah, he's looking, uh, he's looking good. And I watched a little bit of Stephen Hendry, who, um, tricky one against Tian Peng Fei, but he was acquitting himself pretty well. Um, it looked like he might go close. He should have made it 5-4 down um, and he missed a shocker of a blue to the middle. Um, the white ball wasn't nearish the opposite cushion, but uh, he just rolled it onto the jaw and he looked utterly bemused with what had happened. Um, and Tian's wrapped up the game there and then. Um, so, yeah, it, it was sort of sharp signs of progress from Andrew in that game to an extent, but then it was a shocker of a way to finish. So, uh Shame. Um, and then, you know, these are ongoing now, but depending on when you listen to this, we just before we started recording had Barry Hawkins six, Andrew Paget nil, and Paget lost frame five on the three miss rule. So uh, a bad evening out in Sheffield for Paget, but more success for Hawkins, who's having a lovely old time at the minute. And uh, I'm sure you've seen some of these, Nick. Um, you can go and see the qualifiers there at Ponds Forge. Um, and we've seen some of our friends there, Kelly Barker. Uh, has been posting pictures from there. So, yeah, if you're in Sheffield, pop down this week. I've never heard of her, actually, but um, it, it's, it's, it's nice to know that fans are there. Are we joking, Kelly? You're one of my favourites, you know that. And, uh, yeah, we see some live scores here, Phil. Live service. Matt Selt easily beating Jimmy White. Did you say that? I hope you didn't. No. No, good. 6-1. And... Yeah, as you mentioned, yeah. That's the second one, isn't it? The second uh, giving a frame away in about two or three weeks because um, Alfie Burden did, 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 did oh, it, didn't yeah. he? Against, um, yeah. against, was it Selt? Against Matt Selt, I think. And, uh, yeah, other winners in the last hour, couple of hours, Mark Joyce, Michael White, 
and uh, Jackson Page has had a win as well. So, yeah, qualifying will continue throughout the week. And then we really are getting right into uh, the sort of heart of, you know, main stage tournament play, the British Open underway uh, next Monday. And uh, that's a, a week of superb action in Cheltenham. And then it's back to back, Phil. It's English Open in Brentwood, the Wuhan Open again back to China. And then very soon after that, the snooker world will head to Belfast for the Northern Ireland Open. So the rest of September and October is just thick and fast action. We really are, you know, blessed at this time of year as snooker fans. So much to, to look forward to. We should move on and say that uh, Michael Holt has had some success, hasn't he? He's won the second Q Tour event of the season in Stockholm, beating Liam Davis 5-2 in the final. Had a look at his run early, beat some you know, good old players along the way, including Craig Stedman and Daniel Wormersley. And we should say congratulations to friend of the podcast, who, of course, doubles up as your occasional coach as well, Phil. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd probably play that up too much. I did have one session with him once, but it still counts. I'll still go to him for advice if needs be. But yeah, he played really well. Um, barely dropped any frames during that run. Um, and I from yeah, from that match 3 0 against Sedman, 4 0 against Wormersley, 4 1, then 5 2 in the final. So yeah, I mean, when he dropped off tour, you know, a lot of people were saying, yeah, he's obviously, uh, would be one of the very best amateurs, you know, not on the circuit. Um, but he hasn't really shown that. He hasn't had many good results in these amateur tournaments. So this will be a big boost for him. Um, yeah, very impressive stuff. So he'll be looking to carry on from there and uh, get back through the Q Tour, hopefully. But Liam Davis also impressive because he won the first um, Q Tour event. So the standings, they obviously the two Q Tour rankings. You want to finish top of that to get tour card. Uh, and Liam Davis is still top of that after winning one and getting to the final. Very good. So, yeah, uh, a few more events to go there, but those two, very impressive. I think we nearly always do a bit more talking than we, than we think we're going to do. And I think we, we ticked about, must be about the hour mark. I don't think we, we, we want to aim for about that, don't we? So we're not going to be here too much longer. Let's maybe move on to any other business and say the 900's back, Phil. Starting tonight, I think, isn't it? Monday night here in the UK. And... Uh, you've spoken to a, a couple of, uh, of characters we know well, Robin Hull, I think, and also Housewives' favourite, uh, as that phrase that we always used to use back in the day, Housewives' favourite, Tony Knowles, who's 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 once again, uh, you know, giving it the, the the wonderful impression of just being an ageing rocker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, Jason Francis, who runs that, does some great promotion for that, so... He'll sort of ring you up beforehand and be like, oh, do you want to speak to these guys and these guys? Uh, and the answer is always yes. Uh, I spoke to Tony before. Uh, he's got some fascinating insights. I've never spoke to Robin before. Really interesting guy, obviously. Uh, flying the flag for Finland for all these years. Um, had that in- really sort of scary health problems, but then he's all cured of, of that. Now it's not a problem anymore. But um, yeah, just had an interesting story. Um, and it's real sort of uh, last year, there were some more unknowns, I feel, but this shows what it's like. This week one, those two, uh, Barry Pinchers, Michael Judge, Jamie Curtis Barrett, Josh Tommen, Florian Nuzler, and Marcus Deo. Um, so, yeah, it's tough and plenty more big names to come. Uh, eight weeks, the next eight weeks, Monday to Wednesday, 10 p.m. till 1 a.m. Um, if that they're your kind of TV times, then you will be treated. And then there's the grand final uh, later in November, I think 22nd of November. Uh, and 10 grand on the line for the winner. So the biggest prize in amateur snooker. Um, yeah, I was a big fan of it last year. It's uh, 
Same again this year, but they've got a live live audience in the club where it's played in Reading, so that'll add a bit more spice to it. And yeah, just great stuff for these guys who, you know, people like Tony Knowles and Robin Hill have been on TV before, but some of these guys haven't. Uh, and even the ones who have probably haven't been for a while. Um, so yeah, good opportunity. Um, great punditry team. We said before, Rachel Casey presenting Neil Folds, uh, Leader Shirt Richardson, uh, Rian Evans at times. So uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I enjoyed it last time. So uh, keep an eye on that on Sporty Stuff TV on Sky and other things. Just give, give it a Google because I don't want to guess the channels and get it wrong. But Google will tell you where to find that. I think you can watch it through a stream on that channel as well, can't you, quite easily? I think I remember doing that last year. I think on their website, Sporty Stuff TV. Yeah. You might just be sportystuff.tv. But yeah, you'll find it. Um, yeah. Late night, 10 p.m. till 1. Um so yeah, sometimes you watch. I spoke to the guys who are involved because it's that same team that do every week, and uh, I spoke to them sort of late on last year, and uh, you could tell they'd had a lot of <laughs> long days and late nights. But um, yeah, it's great for the viewer. <laughs> well, I, I haven't checked actually, but I presume they their mainstay of, of evening television is still greyhound racing, which I think is the reason why they go on air, isn't it? After that, that's not quite like nice little maverick sporting lineup there. Bit of greyhound racing, which. You used to see on television a little bit back in the day. Um, well, I say back in the day, many, many decades ago now, really. Um, and, and then, yeah, a bit of snooker. So uh, it's not all about the bloody Premier League feel and all these, you know, big hitting sports. It's it's good. And, yeah, the bits I saw last year, I, I certainly enjoyed as well. And you're right, they've got a top team with Rachel and Neil. And, you know, you popped down and had a great time there. The, the sense of fun comes over, doesn't it, actually? We should say that. Uh, as it does with a lot of our snooker coverage on television, but you get the real sense that they're all having a good old laugh down there, and that, but not not in one of those. You know, sometimes you get. I always mention. I know I go on about AA Gillen Glastonbury now. He once said that they just look like they're having a bloody great time, and and we're not. We're at home. It's not like that. They're having a great time, but we're kind of part of it, which I, which is the the best kind of TV coverage, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah, and that slot, you know, and it's not going to be for everyone watching then, but. Uh, there's not a lot else on at that time, really. Um, so it can, can be a great slot for them. Um, yeah, enjoyable. And I don't know if you saw that piece that I did with Jason Francis, actually. He's got some plans to... They said they're already booked in for next year as well, so certainly here to stay. And they're in talks with Channel 5 about doing a Seniors 900. Um, so, yeah, just more snooker on the telly. Um, it's all good news for us, isn't it? It is. And, of course, that. There was a very successful staging of senior starts recently, of course, which I'm sure must have, uh, you know, attracted Channel Five to the idea. I remember they, they did get, you know, very very solid viewing figures for that in, in, during that 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 event, as I recall. Well, we, we should move on, Phil. The, the, the World Snooker Tour podcast is returning with Stephen Hendry and Mark Watson. I know we were sharing messages saying that. Um, yeah, it'd be very interesting, of course. We both like Mark Watson, don't we? I first became aware of him when he appeared on Fighting Talk, which I think he's... I don't listen to that as much anymore, but I used to be a real avid Fighting Talk fan, actually, you know, when a, a former colleague of mine, Colin Murray, presented it. Lots of presenters that I've liked. Johnny Vaughan did it, I think, first, um, actually, and uh, Christian O'Connell did it. I saw it live once, actually. I, that's how much I really liked it at one time. But he was always really good on there. Really, really funny guy. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be a laugh a minute and all about comedy, but I imagine there'll be, you know laughter and light-hearted would be the way they probably go with it with, with obviously some you know some probably some serious stuff with with the Hendry element as well but um 
yeah, we, it, it's not been around for a few months, the old WST pod. So uh, we'll, we'll have something fresh snooker content to listen to. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, as, um, yeah I'm a fan of Mark as well. And uh, yeah, he, he's tweeted me before about some very quite niche snooker questions before. So he's definitely a, a very serious fan. Um, so yeah, that'd be good. And Hendry's sort of becoming uh, the star of the show, isn't he? Uh, across social media platforms so um yeah we'll see how it goes but um definitely worth a listen i'm sure and it should be said of course that the the podcasts that that have continued to be broadcast you know throughout recent months and throughout the years in fact are you know still very much going strong i think you know top of the tree david hendon with snooker scene always a a vital listen i think for for all, all all snooker people all snooker fans uh, that's always uh, terrific. We, we should say as well that, uh, of course, Shadnam Yunus Jewel, our friend from the BBC, we mentioned earlier, her framed podcast, which uh, uh, is produced by the BBC, uh, BBC Essex, actually, and always has really good guests and yeah, some really illuminating interviews on there. And, of course, uh, our friends Phil Seymour and Sean Murphy with their uh, 147 podcast, which... Uh, is always very good company as well and entertaining. So loads of stuff to listen to. And there are other podcasts as well. There's a very, there might be a couple actually, certainly one I know, maybe a couple of very strong, popular podcasts in Germany, one or two popping up in different parts of Europe as well. So loads of snooker content uh, to listen to. I know that was at one stage I thought the audio part of the snooker media was a bit undersold. That's not the case now. So there's loads of good stuff out there. And, uh, you know, happy listening for us all, uh, uh, hopefully. And, well, what should we say now? We should maybe say that we'll be back probably a little bit earlier. I've not discussed this quite with you yet, Phil. Probably should have more, more professional would have been to say it, you know, to you. But I, I, may, have, I may have mentioned it, but we might have to come a little bit early next time um, with our double preview. It'll be actually the British Open and the English Open. Because I'm I'm a lucky boy, I'm off to the Ryder Cup, so we'll have to do it a little bit early. But we will be back with you soon. And, well, this is the heart of the season now, isn't it, Phil? It's just about really starting now. If Shanghai didn't whet your appetite, then this is the wrong sport for you type thing. I'll go that far. It was great stuff. And now we just can't wait for this swing of of big tournaments. And the British have built up such a sort of stature again. Only been back two years, feels like more. But this third edition in Cheltenham is, is bound to be strong and we know it'll be very well covered with ITV. And, yeah, we're back next time to look forward to it properly. But I know we, we already can't wait. Yeah, it's been really good since I'm back on the calendar. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, unpredictable with the FA Cup style draw, um, which I think has gone down well with most people. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, and then there's the UK Women's Championship on the calendar as well, 23rd, 24th. Um, so just before that. So depending on when we record, uh, we may or know what, not know what's happened there. We'll see. Um, but yeah, lots and lots of snooker to come. Very well teed up. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give that a good mention next time as well. And thank you very much indeed for your company. Uh, I don't want to be presumptuous. Uh, you may have something more to say, sir. Otherwise, we'll disappear into the night and, and send send this out there to to all the big podcast platforms and a couple of the more dicey ones. Yeah, as many of those as possible. Yeah, no, all good. Um, enjoy the 900. <laughs> enjoy the, the qualifiers from Sheffield. Um, I might try and pop down there this week. So hopefully see some of you there. But uh, yeah, keep listening. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Brilliant. All the best, Phil. Your company's been great as ever. And we'll be back 
I say a little bit early, not dramatically, maybe Saturday, Sunday coming up type thing before, which would do us a favour anyway, actually, because it would be more more value um, preview-wise, especially for the British. But congratulations to Ronnie O'Sullivan, the Shanghai Masters winner, and keep your thoughts coming on any of those snooker matters we mentioned or any any thoughts you have on the game, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network.